Thank you, Brady. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> the, the lovely 1130 service, all hyper-caffeinated. Well, my favorite thing about you guys is that even though it's like noon already, you guys are still like trickling in late at all times of the thing. And you're just like, God bless you for it. I love it. Hey, you come, you come in late and you come sit down in the front. Nobody cares. We just love that you're here. This has been a great weekend. Um, <clears throat> and, and not because of my March Madness bracket, that's not great anymore, but uh, because Friday night was that rooted celebration thing, and it was so cool. I got to baptize some people, and to see people's lives transform over a number of uh, weeks is, is so fun. So if you haven't done that yet, seriously, just sign up and just make it happen. Uh, the other thing is that yesterday, Hillary went with Monica and team and a number of you and went down to Mexico to serve for the day. So like 20-something of you went down in vans to Mexico. And part of this Be Fearless campaign, so we gave all that money, and it goes into the community, and some of it goes into the community that we support in Mexico. And so we went down there. We presented them with a check. It was such an awesome experience. I hear, I see pictures. Um, and then uh, I sent Hillary down because they wanted to like finish doing stuff in the house. And I was like, uh, who do you want, me or Hillary? You want Hillary. She'll do stuff. And, and, and like paint, and she loves to paint, and so she came back with paint everywhere. And, uh, and so that was, that was a cool thing. What it also meant was that I had Jack all day yesterday. And so Jack got to eat Mexican food downtown Huntington Beach, Dos Toros. Uh, and so um, we, we were there, and we had that experience. But yesterday I was also thinking, as, as I was kind of preparing and, and getting ready for today, that I, I just love the community that God is assembling here and the people that he keeps bringing to our church. Because around you right now, you have people that have been following Jesus and, and trying to figure out how to walk with God and what this whole thing is about for over 50 years. Right here around you, if you look around. You also have people in this room right now that are just for the first time checking out who Jesus is and thinking, try, trying to figure out if this is for them, if they want to, to go down this road, if this is relevant to their life. You have the whole spectrum. And, and it's a privilege for me to stand up here and be able to share truth from God's word and realizing that you're all on different places in that spiritual journey, and it's awesome, and I love it. And people are bringing folks. I've met several people today who are in church for the first time in their life. And another person who was in church for the first time in like 10 years. And people from Long Beach State that have come down for the first, a group of them came down for the first time to our church. There's just, God's just doing things. And I just want you to know when you come in and you sit and you're around people and you're shaking hands and you're greeting, you're talking to people, that it's just the whole spectrum of, of the spiritual journey. And it's a beautiful thing that you get to be a part of, that we get to be a part of. Um, and because it's the whole spectrum, all of us, regardless of who you are, I, all of us at some time or another, have asked a question like this. You've asked the question, God, what is it that you really look like? Right? Some of you that are kind of on the fence or are newer checking God out, you've, you've, you've thought, God, if you would just like prove yourself to me, if you would really make it clear who you are, I'd be all in. But because I've seen some kind of weird Christians in the past or I've had some bad experiences or whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. But if you just showed yourself to me in a really clear way, I'm in. I just want to know what you look like. Who are you really? Or maybe you grew up with a certain set of beliefs, this belief system that you came up in. And it was structured, and it made sense, and it fit in line and, and everything. And, and it, it, you, know, kind of, you came up going to Sunday school, and you dress a certain way, and you believe certain things, and you vote a certain way, and all this thing that plays out. 
And then you get older a little bit, and you, or you maybe you get in college, or maybe you get married, or maybe you go through some really difficult life circumstances. And the framework that you grew up with for, for faith or for religion or your view of God that you grew up with, it just seems incongruent with what you're experiencing, with what you're seeing in your family, with what you're seeing in culture, the people that you love around you. Maybe, maybe for you growing up, like life and things that happened were really black and white and it fit in this little box and it made sense and this is how things are. And then you come up against something that doesn't make sense anymore. Then there's something that happens that some, someone that you love, someone that's very close to you, and they say something to you about them or what they're going through, and you're just like, I don't know where to put that. That doesn't fit in my nice little religious box. It used to be so black and white, but now this is happening to a person that I love, and I don't know how to think about that anymore. And what happens is, for, for most of us, we, we do one of a couple of things. When, when, when life and the things we're experiencing don't match up with this framework that we had or this view of God that we used to have, we do either, we just kind of t- toss the whole thing, we just chuck it and say, well, I mean, so much for God because this isn't making sense anymore. And I, the real world, the real world is like this, and, and my little Sunday school faith doesn't, doesn't figure into that, and so I'm done with it. Or... Maybe you begin to kind of like piece things together. Like there's some good things with that, and so I'll take some of that, but they've got some good things, and he's got some good things, and I read this book that had some good things, and they said there's a secret, and I want to know the secret, and I want to pull that secret in my things, and I want to know this thing, I want to know this. And we, and we just kind of have this hodgepodge, and we just kind of piece together this, this weird image of God from all over the place because other people have said some inspiring things, and, and that makes sense in terms of what I might think I want to believe. This feels comfortable to me, so I'll make this work. And then there's other of us that, others of us that we just, we just soldier on. It's like, dang it, this is how I grew up. This is what I believe. I like a black and white perspective, and I am going forward. Whether they like it or not, whether they believe it or not, whether they think I'm stingy or prejudiced or whatever, I'm going this way. But all of us respond in some way when the things that we've seen, the things that we've experienced come in contact with real life, and then we wonder, God, but what do you look like really? What are you really about? Who are you really? Despite my circumstances, despite the things that I'm seeing, despite the way I grew up, I just want to know you as you really are. And here's the amazing thing. is that you can. You can know who this God really is. You can see him for who he really is and get a clear perspective. Even though other things have been confusing, even though you look at the Old Testament and you're like, this is nuts. The ground opens up and people, I mean, they're just flat. Are you angry? I mean, God, what is this? The I don't understand. Or my life circumstances or this person's going through this. And, and the religious people that I've seen in the past, they treated me this way. And maybe we can just put that to the side and just say, can we get a glimpse of who this God really is? What if, what if, we fixed in on Jesus, who claimed to be God with skin on, who claimed to answer the question that we've been asking and poets and writers and songwriters and authors have been asking for out, through, throughout history. I, I remembered this one by, um, by what's, what's her name? Joan Osborne. She wrote, uh, What If God Was One of Us? Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home, right? 
Don't we ask that question? God, if I could just see you, like, actually, then I would believe, or then I would, then I would be all in, then I would follow you. We can. Because Jesus was the most magnetic, inspiring, game-changing person of all time. We're, we're going to look at a little bit of his story in a second, but what I, what I want you to just keep in the back of your mind is that he was literally the most famous person in history. He couldn't go anywhere without crowds following him. They, they just mobbed everywhere that he went. You have no frame of context for that. It's, it's like, there's like, there's like Kardashian and there's like Jimmy Fallon and there's like Obama and it's, it's nothing compared to what Jesus, what it was like when he walked the earth. You would have given up all your sick days, all your vacation time and just followed this guy around if you could have, as long as you possibly could have. It was that crazy. They just hung on every word. They just wanted to see what he would do next. And so we're going to look at a little story in Luke chapter four, but before we get to Luke Four, I want to read you a, a few verses from the book of John because John was one of Jesus' disciples. John followed Jesus around for three years. It's not John the Baptist who we talked about a few weeks ago. This is John, brother of James. He'd have been a fisherman. And he got the privilege of following Jesus, sleeping near him, eating near him, listening to everything that he said, watching the things that he did. And he wrote it down for you and I so that we would know what it looked like when God was in skin, how he lived, what he did, what, what he looked like, how, how he portrayed God. And the, the interesting thing is, in this verses we're about to read, it's, it's right before Jesus is about to go back up into heaven. So he did the cross thing, died on the cross, resurrected from the dead. If you're, if you're new and you're not like of in Jesus follower and church is a new thing to you. That's a weird thing. And we believe some weird things that like Jesus died on a cross and then like wasn't dead anymore. And, and so in that, in that sacrifice, like paid for all the sins of all humanity for all time. Uh, we talked more about that at Easter, but that's kind of a crazy thing that you might be like, whoa, yeah, we, we believe that. And, and so, and, and so this is after that's happened and before he goes back into heaven. And he's having this last conversation with his disciples. And he's telling them, hey, I'm going to go into heaven soon. And I'm going to go to be with the Father, God the Father. And he's got this big house. And it's got lots of rooms in the house. And I'm going to prepare a room. You're going to have a place. I'm going to come back. We're going to be together again. There's kind of a temporary gap. And then, and then it's all going to be fine. And the disciples are freaking out. They're like, um, no, 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 no. If you go, um, we're screwed because there's lots of people around here that don't like us. Uh, they want to kill us, in fact, and this is too, this is too much for us. We can't, we can't do this on our own. And so they're asking him, this, this God the Father thing, houses, rooms, what, what are you talking about? I don't really connect with that. Can you tell us more about God? Is there, is there ask? We've heard about them. We know kind of the Old Testament. We've heard some of those stories. They're kind of weird. Um, we've seen you. You seem to kind of like blur some of the lines of the rules and rituals that we read about. And tell us about this God that you're going back to. Chapter 14 of John. If you really knew me, Jesus says, you will know, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you know me, you know the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says to his disciples. And then one of them, Philip, been following Jesus around for three years. He says, he's tracking with him. He's like, all right, all right, Lord, 
show us the Father so that that will be enough for us. Jesus was like, son, oh my gosh, how much, how much time do I have to really, like you've been following me, can't you, oh, Philip, seriously, don't you get this by now? All the miracles, all the things. He goes on in verse 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? How can you say, show us the Father? You're looking at him. You want to see a picture of God? You're looking at him. Don't you know that God is in me and I am in him? The Father is in me and I am in the Father? We've been doing this together for three years. You've seen all the miracles. You've heard all the words. When I speak to you, it's God speaking to you. When I heal someone, it's God healing someone. When I show compassion, it's God being compassionate. When I call people to me, it's God calling people to himself. Everything that you see me do, it's God. Now, there's people like me, like, like professional religious people, that we try to like, figure out and explain things and say, oh, God, I think is like, so there was this one time when I, and this relates to this, and, and we try to explain to you how God is. We try to explain to ourselves and each other, right? Jesus says, here's your explanation. I'm him. Watch my life. Listen to my words. Watch what I do. I'm God. And it's, another, it's like he's saying, when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. And his disciples, who had been with him all this time, almost missed the biggest aha moment in history. They almost missed it completely. And in fact, people that did, a lot of people did miss it. A lot of people still do miss it. And, and in Jesus' time, he went back after when he's at his popularity, when he's, when he's really famous and everybody is, is like loving them some Jesus and going out and trying to see, he goes back to his hometown called Nazareth. Right? So there's no internet, there's no newspapers, there's no TV, and yet word has spread. And people are like, Jesus, have you heard about what Jesus is doing? You've heard about this Jesus guy? This is, this is crazy. And, oh, he, he's, 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 coming, he's coming here. He's coming to Nazareth. He's on his way here. So, I mean, I imagine like it, 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 the popularity is insane, right? So it, it, if, let's just say, I think it'd be fun if Jesus was on the Tonight Show, right, with Jimmy Fallon, and, and he probably wouldn't be because he kind of liked to go under the radar as much as possible, but I was thinking about that last night. He would have taken the history of rap to a whole other dimension, right? I mean, it, imagine just the, 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 the magnitude, the moment, but he, he was so popular that people are anticipating his coming, so he's going back to Nazareth, which is his hometown, and the people that are in his hometown are about to miss it. They're about to miss it completely, and here's, here's the way the story goes. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. The Sabbath, we celebrate kind of like Sunday. They probably, it might have been Saturday. Either way, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. So Jesus went to church. You're, look, look at you. You're like in alignment. Like, Jesus, you, you're, you're, this is happening. And so he goes to church, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, 
the freeze frame right there. So I have a little picture. It might have looked something like this, the, the scroll of Isaiah. So this is an actual Dead Sea scroll that they found. This is Isaiah's writing. And, and Jesus might have been holding something just like this. And, and he's opening it up, and it takes him kind of a long time to find it because there's no chapters and verses. He probably just went right to it. It would have taken me like an hour. And so he's, he's trying to find his way, and, and he opens up this scroll, and everyone's just sitting there watching him. And this is what he says reading from the scroll, something that's been prophesied for hundreds of years. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he's in this synagogue. He opens up this scroll and he reads this thing that's been prophesied. And he says it's about good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, setting the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now let me give you a little bit of context for that. The year of the Lord's favor is referring to something that you would find in the book of Leviticus in chapter 25. You're Leviticus. I'm sure you're reading that this week. So if you've actually ever read Leviticus, that's probably when you stopped reading your Bible because you were like, I, I don't know, I can't do this. But what Jesus does, he brings light to the Old Testament, even those complex chapters and things like Leviticus, right? So in Leviticus chapter 25, God is telling Moses and the people, here's the deal. I want you to pause on, on the Sabbath day. So one day out of seven, I want you to pause. I don't want you to work. I want you to trust and remember that I'm the God that provides for you all your needs. I'm the provider God. So I want you to pause on that day, not work, and do things a little bit differently. And on every seventh year, I want you to pause during that year. I don't want you to, to go out and farm the same way. I don't want you to work in the same manner that you, that you typically do. I want you to have a Sabbath year. And then every seven of those seven years, right? God's into sevens, apparently. So every seven, so we're up to 49, right? At the, at the 49 year mark, the 50th year is what's called the year of Jubilee. And this is when, he's saying, this is when I, I really want you to take care of each other. I really want you to, to love each other well and be good to each other. So that means if during the year of Jubilee, because it's the year of Jubilee, if it's the year of Jubilee and someone owes you money, I want you, to, I want you to lend to them without charging any interest. And if they can't pay you back, I want you to forgive the debt. The person's like, doggone year of Jubilee. This is... If you have money, this year is not fun, you know? If you don't, you're like, woohoo, every 50. <clears throat> so it's not just that, but if people are, you know, they can't pay you back and previously they've become your kind of indentured slave, that's what would happen. If you couldn't pay a debt, you became a slave to the person until your family could buy you back out of slavery. So in the year of Jubilee, God says, I want you to release all your slaves, which to someone who doesn't have any, they're like, whatever. To someone who does, it's like, I have to, this is a sacrifice here. I am setting these people free. So Jesus, when he announces his arrival, I'm God on earth, to the people in his hometown, he chooses to go to this passage in Isaiah that's been prophesied for years, and he chooses to stand in front of them in their church and say this. I'm anointed. I have come to bring good news recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's jubilee. It, we're, we're, we're not in jubilee year. We're in jubilee forever. It's his jubilee time. And so the people that are sitting there listening like, whoa, 
Jubilee. So, so he's saying that that was about this. There's something, there's something happening here. And then the Bible says that he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Like a stranger on a bus, but a little bit different. And they're like, there's something about this guy. I mean, he looks like a regular guy. He smells like a regular guy. I can smell him from here, but, but he is different. Verse 21, he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. I mean, just, just imagine the moment. He's, so he reads this prophecy, and they're all here. They're, they came for church, and he says to them, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the weight of that moment, all of us, if we're there, there's like little shivers that go up our spine. And we break out, break out into like a whole body sweat. And we're like, could it be? Is he saying that he's the Messiah? Is he saying that he is God come to do all this stuff? Could it not here in front of us? Him? Is it even possible? It's as if he's saying, I came to show you what God is like. Oh, by the way. I'm him. So the response that people give him, there's two responses. The first response, it's really interesting. It's complete amazement, right? There's the shiver. There's the weight in the air. No, it's like you could hear a pen drop. People are just sitting there. They, they, they typically look at each other, but they're not, they can't even do that. They're just fastened, just fixed on him. What's going to happen next? And they are amazed. Look what the next verse says. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Is he saying that now is the Jubilee year? Like all this is going to be fulfilled? Could it be? I get to participate in this? I get caught up in this? This is about me too? We're here, we're doing this? But the amazement, the hope, the wonder, that the, the, the blood just kind of pulsing inside, all the, the history like frozen in this moment, it, it, it shifts when someone says this. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? So from amazement that God has come and put on skin, to disbelief, just like that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's odd, like, like this, this weightiness and this amazing message, I get it, I'm, I, I, you, you had me for a minute. Like, I was real hopeful, I was on board, I got the shivers too, you know, this was cool. But you're Joe's kid, man. I know your pops. He built me a table and it's wobbly, in fact. And, and I know your house and where you grew up and stuff, I don't even, you're, you can't be. You're Joe's kid. I expected that when the, when the Messiah, when God was eventually going to come and forgive the sins of all people, that he was going to come in like a big hoopla, that he was going to wipe out this Roman 
government that's oppressing us, and he was going to set us free, and he was going to give us hope, and he was going to elevate our status. He was going to come in with a sword on a big horse, and it was going to be crazy. What are, you're just talking about like grace and stuff. You're like, like for forgiveness, and, and by the way, I've got slaves, and I don't want to give them up. This year of Jubilee, like starting now forever, I don't get that. And so this doesn't really fit in my little religious box. This isn't how I have seen God growing up all my life because, because grandma taught me that Jesus, there was this picture on the wall and he was sitting there with a little lammy and uh, you don't look at all like, like that guy that was supposed to come. I thought that being religious was about like voting Republican and you haven't said anything about the economy or like military fortitude. This doesn't fit into my little thing. I, I'm used to this, and it's supposed to play out this way, and, and you're, you're, you're not doing that. You're, aren't you Joe's kid? Aren't you just a regular guy? And how quickly do we go from amazement? Could this be true? Could this be true of me? Could this be for me? Could this be relevant to my life? Is this really the God of the universe with skin on that, that, that's giving me hope and we are amazed and we want it to be true and then we rationalize our way out of it and think, ah, my experience with these Christians was different and that, that's not, I don't want that. Ah, but my, my parents, they said that, you know, you had to think this way and this, he's way outside of my box. When I think about the kind of like religious thing that I want to be a part of, I'm not sure that this is, this isn't really, I don't know, I don't know. I just can't, I'm not sure if I can, if I can get there. I like feeling like I'm right. And you seem to be kind of stretching my paradigms here. This is uncomfortable for me. Have you been there? I've been there. I, I used to be the guy that really liked being right. I was pretty sure that my view of God and religion had to be the right one because, dang it, I was sacrificing a lot to believe this thing. I was giving up on a lot of fun and pleasure and things like that, so I sure better be right. And anyone that believed outside of my little box, they must be wrong because I have to be right. But I couldn't, I mean, I... I wasn't completely right. I thought that I was for a long time. And then what happens is that, that life hits and someone that you love gets sick or, or someone challenges your view on things, but it's not, it's not just out there anymore. It's not just a theory anymore. It's your, it's your brother that's struggling with this. What do you do with that? It's not black and white anymore. It's, 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 it feels different. Or like me, you... You get married young because, you know, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to have sex before marriage, and I'm going to do this thing. And, and then you don't know how to be married, and your marriage just falls apart and unravels, and she leaves, and you're divorced. Now you're the person that you used to judge because they didn't fit into your box. And you think, dang, maybe, maybe my box sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe maybe my view of God is more than just 
what, what they showed me on flannel graphs and, and books and things. Maybe, maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe, maybe Jesus is different than that. Maybe there's more. Here's what I looked for and what I've discovered that, that, that we look to when we're trying to find our view of God. We look to a few things. One, we look to religious traditions, like I did, like many of you did. And you grew up in a certain way, and, and it's okay. Religious traditions are okay. It's, it's, a, it's a good starting place because it gets you a base. It gets you some structure, but it's not all there is. It's not a complete view of God. It can't be. My grandparents wouldn't let my dad dance or play cards. They based a movie off of his life. I think it was called Footloose. And they <laughs> did that. But if we, if we let our whole view of God be built around things like that, you are going to have a vero, very narrow view of God. It's going to make you irrelevant to a lot of people. Religious traditions, is a, it's, it's valuable and it's good. And it's a good place to start, but it's not everything. Another place that we look is nature, which is good. The Bible says, look at nature. In nature, you will see the reflection of God. You will see when you're out there. You, you can't even disbelieve the existence of God once you see creation, once you see beauty, once you see a baby being born, once you see these things. You're just like, there must be a God, but that's not all there is to know about God. Friends of mine, family members, in fact, who just kind of, they just kind of worship nature. They commune with God only when they're on a hike or in the mountains or whatever. That's a good, that's an okay place to start, but there's more. The third place that we look is within. We think if I can build myself up, if I can really get to know myself, if I can look inside, then I can know, I can, I can see that, that, that there's God in me, and there is. He's created you in his image. You have the divine thumbprint on your soul. You can get a reflection of God, but it's not all there is. You're not the total package of God. Other people look into your life and they think, I like you, but you're not the total package of God. Some of you don't even believe in God before 1130. That's why you're here at this service. <laughs> so if you look within yourself in the early morning hours, you're not going to like what you see. Others of you, you look within, you think this is kind of God, and then you add to the equation a little, little white pill, right? And so you pop this pill, and then you look within, you see a better version of God. And your family and people around you, they, they like the version of God within you with the pill more than they like the version of God without the pill, you know? It's, it's, it's a place to start, but it's not everything. If you want to see who God is, you look at Jesus. If you want to overcome the pain from the past, the religious things that have failed you, the people that have let you down, the things that you don't understand out there, the Bible that seems complicated or whatever, you look at Jesus. Last few verses from Colossians chapter 1. It says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace 
through blood shed on the cross. What we're going to talk about again at Easter, right? Blood shed on the cross. If you want to see God, you look at Jesus. And if you're like I've been, and you're more interested in just being right, you're missing out on the message of Jesus, which is to be reconciled. If you're interested in your view being the right view, you're missing out on the whole point that he came to show who God was and to reconcile everyone who would look to him. Because his message, the message that God, when he put on skin, the message that he came to bring was not about being right or wrong. It was about restoring, redeeming, reconnecting with us, with people. If your view of God causes you to exclude others or debate others or pass off and dismiss dismiss others, you might be missing Jesus. Because his message of reconciliation was good news for the poor, freedom from the, for the prisoners, sight for the blind, forgiveness of debts, and God's favor announced going forward. And if you've ever been in a place like me where this was my view of God and then it just couldn't be anymore because I found that I was the one all of the sudden, apparently, who needed forgiveness, who needed freedom. Maybe, maybe it was my eyes that had been blind. Maybe it was me that desperately needed God's favor. And when that clicks and you realize that it's for you and then it's through you, to everybody else. Because if you want to know who God is, you look at the person of Jesus who changed and is still changing everything. Would you guys stand with us and see?